Hi, Finn. You, my friend, are so brave. Seriously, it's inspiring. It's also the reason that Mercy, Ramblin' Rabbit, and I are such humongous fans of yours. Hey, you ready for some big news? Yeah! I bet you are. Guess what? The Fiend is officially accepting your challenge for a match at SummerSlam! We are back and we are live, pal. And we are talking all the news in the world of pro wrestling. We're going to talk about the Raw reunion show on Monday as well as the SmackDown yesterday. I know that the G1 Climax is going on. It's been a great tournament so far. And night eight of the G1 Climax just started up again today from Tokyo. Uh, Well, from Japan, actually. I'm not sure if it's in Tokyo. But we'll talk more about the G1 Climax a little later this week. Obviously, some great things going on in that tournament. Kenta, John Moxley, all kinds of things to talk about in terms of the G1. But it was a very eventful week for WWE And this might not make some of the WWE haters happy, but we're going to talk about Raw and SmackDown this week. And if you haven't heard, just in the last hour, All Elite Wrestling confirmed that their show will air on Wednesday nights. It will be AEW Dynamite on Wednesday evening starting October 2nd. That'll be the first show. And that's the same week that SmackDown moves to Friday nights on Fox. So, what we're actually going to have here is on the first week of October, it's going to be the first week without SmackDown on a Tuesday, and then on Wednesday we get the first AEW, and then on Friday we get the first SmackDown on Fox. So that's kind of how... The AEW versus WWE TV rivalry is gonna is gonna play out on Monday nights. You'll have Raw. On Tuesday there'll be nothing. Wednesday you'll have AEW and WWE. I mean they're gonna try and counter with NXT. Is the rumor maybe NXT goes on to FS1 or maybe just NXT stays on the WWE network? But regardless, it's going to be AEW versus NXT, wherever NXT is, on Wednesday nights. And I actually think that's the most appealing situation there could be. Because what WWE does is different from what AEW does. AEW is a wrestling company geared at wrestling fans. WWE is a sports entertainment company geared at families. More than anything else, WWE has made itself multi-generational. And what I mean by that is, so you grow up and your dad or your parents or your older brother or people in your in your life, your uncle, takes you to some WWE events and it gets you hooked as a fan and you're a fan as a kid. And you like the John Cena's and the Roman Reigns. And you like everybody that WWE tells you to like. And then you get older and you start having your intelligence insulted as a fan. You're like, oh my god. And you don't, and you forget what it is that WWE's doing until you end up taking your kid, somebody else's kid, or you end up sitting around a bunch of, you know, wrestling fans who are 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. And you realize that there's a difference between being a wrestling company aimed at wrestling fans and a sports entertainment company aimed at families. NXT is aimed at wrestling fans. So what we'll have on Wednesday nights is two wrestling promotions geared at wrestling fans competing to see who can put on the best wrestling show. And on Monday and Friday nights, We'll have a sports entertainment show geared at families. And so that was the big news that came out today. Is AEW is on Wednesday nights. 
But I want to talk about Raw. I want to talk about the big Raw reunion show. And WWE now, uh, I mean, they've known. They've got one more week in July, and then they've got August and September. They've got 10 weeks now. They've got 10 weeks, SummerSlam, and a September pay-per-view where they will be unopposed in terms of AEW. And this Raw reunion show really felt much like the bringing back of Paul Heyman and Eric Bischoff, although Paul Heyman's been there for a while. It really felt like they were going hard on the idea of creating brand loyalty around WWE. They wanted the fans who were watching this show to really feel loyalty to WWE. That's why Steve Austin came out and talked about WWE being family. And the idea is... The more you identify as a WWE fan in the next 10 weeks, the less open-minded you are going to be to AEW. I'm not saying that I'm not saying this will work. I'm just saying to me, when I heard Stone Cold Steve Austin at the end of WWE Raw on Monday talk about how WWE is his family. All the fans are his family. The WWE universe is family. All of that is in an effort to build brand loyalty. And I know the idea of brand loyalty, like, well, we're wrestling fans. We can just enjoy all sorts of, we can enjoy all the promotions that we want. But the last time there were two big wrestling companies with deep pockets that were in competition with each other. I know everybody says that they're not actually in competition, but... You know, I mean, they are, though. They, they compete over talent in terms of needing to sign talent. They compete over a fan base. They, like, they are in competition. You can say AEW is just starting, and, and WWE has a 35-year head start, you know, to say that it's not going to be close competition. Yeah, okay, but it's still competition. They're still competing to sign people to contracts. And they're still competing for the interest from wrestling fans. And another thing that happened the last time there was this kind of war is that people did divide themselves between WWF people and WCW people. And for the next 10 weeks, I would expect you're going to see WWE try to really instill the idea that their fans are WWE fans. Another thing that also happened the last time, sort of the, in the Monday Night War era, the last time something similar to this happened, is WWE abandoned their family-first approach. If you go in the early 90s, well, okay, so go all the way back to 1984, when Vince McMahon purchased his father's company. There was a guy at the time named Hulk Hogan, and Hulk Hogan was in the AWA. The AWA wouldn't put the title on Hogan because he didn't have a legitimate wrestling background. And he was just seen, okay, he's this guy, he's really big, he has a larger-than-life presence, he's popular in Japan, he was in Rocky Three, but the quality of his wrestling isn't good enough to make him our world champion. But Vince McMahon disagreed. Vince McMahon signed up Hogan, well, he signed up everybody, but he, he, he put Hogan in that top spot. He did what the Gagne family, or Vern and, and Greg Gagne, wouldn't do and build the company around Hogan. And the WWE became the mega corporation that it is today because of it. 
1984, he started building around families, marketing toys. And then there was the big steroid scandal in the early 90s. And he went, you know, he had guys like Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, Diesel. He was building the new generation. And it was all very family friendly until WCW came around. And once Nitro came out and was beating them in the rankings, that's when Vince said, okay, enough of appealing to families. We're going to turn this into a bit of the Howard Stern show. And that's where the Attitude Era came in. That's where you you had characters swearing, which we have again seen recently. We've seen Ricochet flipping people off. We've seen wrestlers swearing. We've seen more being geared towards wrestling fans, teenage fans, as opposed to families. We've seen more of that now. Just a little bit, just a little bit. Like, you know, I think it was Kofi Kingston flipped somebody off. Maybe Ricochet did. I, I can't remember. But there's been little hints that they're not going to be as strict towards the PG rating as they had been in the past. And that's the same thing that happened 20 years ago when WCW started beating them in the ratings. It's happening quicker this time. All right, so things start off on Raw, and John Cena comes out, and he's only out there for a bit, and he does a rap battle with the Usos. It was all very fast-forwardable. Then we had the Usos against the Revival. So now this was a match that the Usos really needed to win as the Revival had beaten them and defended the tag titles against them on the pre-show at Extreme Rules. I'm pretty sure that's the case. But regardless, the Usos really needed to defeat the Revival to justify receiving another tag team title shot. I'm imagining we are going to see that at SummerSlam. Otherwise, why are we seeing more of the Usos versus the Revival? And so this was a case where the Usos came out and they had Rikishi with them. And I was listening to Wrestling Observer Radio, uh, I guess the next day, so yesterday. And Dave Meltzer is reporting that Rikishi wasn't medically cleared to give someone a stink face. Something about that seems off to me. I'm not like, like maybe it's true, maybe it's not, but uh, you know, Rikishi's he's getting a little bit older, but like, I mean, literally to do a stink face, you're just leaning up against the ropes and and kind of, you know, sticking your butt into somebody else's face. But anyway, so the Usos had Rikishi, and then the Revival had Devon Dudley in their corner. I guess just because Devon's got such a background with tag team wrestling, and of course, Devon works as a producer backstage, so he was there and. Um, I think he works with a lot of the, the tag team matches, so I think, yeah, whatever. So then there was, uh, uh, the, the Revival were distracted by uh, Rikishi and Devon getting into it on the outside, and this then led to the Usos picking up the win. So now you would have to imagine that means the Usos versus the Revival at SummerSlam. And... One of these two teams, of course, is going to come away from this rivalry with the tag team titles, but there's a lot of teams in the Raw tag team division sort of lurking in the wings. You've got the Viking Raiders, who are beating up all kinds of competition every show now, Uh, you know, whether it be at Jobbers, they beat Ryder and Hawkins this week. You've also got the AOP, who have sort of been hampered. One of them's been off with an injury, but you've got the Authors of Pain there. Uh, You would have to imagine the authors of Pain and the Viking Raiders would be able to have some good matches. Also, Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows of the OC are in the Raw Tag Team division. And you would have to imagine with the OC playing a larger role on WWE programming, they could be in line for the tag team titles as well. So You've got the Usos versus the Revival. Looks like we're going to get these two teams at SummerSlam. That's just speculation, however. But whoever comes out of this rivalry 
still with the belts or with the belts, a uh, lot of competition. You have to imagine the Viking Raiders are going to get a shot at those belts sometime soon. So after that, we had Drew McIntyre attack Cedric Alexander before their match could begin. And if you remember last week on Raw, Cedric Alexander beat Drew McIntyre with a roll-up or with a pinning combination. So it was Cedric Alexander won the match, got the big win over the heavily favored larger opponent. But it wasn't uh, the kind of win where he dominated his opponent or hurt his opponent so bad and then pinned him. This was portrayed more of uh he got a roll-up victory which may or may not have been a fluke we don't know yet it looked as though we were going to get another singles match between the two here on raw drew mcintyre opted to attack cedric alexander before the bell he finished the segment by delivering sort of like a slingshot thing and drew mcintyre's face went right into the apron so at some point we are going to get a big match between Drew McIntyre and Cedric Alexander, where Alexander is given the opportunity to show his original victory over McIntyre was no fluke. But McIntyre will want to prove that he is the much more dominant superstar over Cedric Alexander. Which wrestler's career will move forward and which will take a step back? We could get that at SummerSlam. It doesn't seem like a very SummerSlam match. We could get the blow-off to this rivalry at SummerSlam. It's possible. It seems like this is something that they might just have play out on TV, however. But regardless, it's Cedric Alexander doing something on Raw. And it could, you know, we've seen Drew McIntyre as sort of Shane McMahon's, uh, I don't know, lackey or Shane McMahon's hired goon, that kind of thing. And that role, I don't know. That role is Shane McMahon's goon. I think it's perfect for guys like The Revival. I mean, the guys like The Revival are perfect to be the tag team in some type of faction. Especially like a four horsemen type faction, right? Like, Because you can tell that that's sort of what they want to do, <laughs> is be like the... Like uh, like they said, the Brain Busters, Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson, who are both over at AEW. Is Arn Anderson officially with AEW yet? I'm not sure. But Tully Blanchard, of course, now the manager of Sean Spears. And will always be the father of Tessa Blanchard. It's funny because Tessa's face looks so much like her dad's face in the 80s. She looks like more of her dad in the 80s than her dad does now. Um, it's just interesting. Like uh, it, it took a while, but I was finally really able to see the resemblance between Tessa Blanchard and her father. And it's, it's pretty funny. Well, I guess not funny. I don't know. It's something. Tessa Blanchard's awesome. Then we move on. So again, we're back into the Raw Tag Team Division, which we were talking about earlier. And the Viking Raiders defeated Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins. Now, the Viking Raiders have been defeating a lot of enhancement talent, local competitor-type teams as of late. This was them getting a victory over an established team in the division who have won the titles. However, they're still a team that WWE bookers aren't going to mind losing, right? So Ryder and Hawkins, I mean, they went, they, they won the titles at WrestleMania. So it was only like four months ago that they were champions. So this is sort of like, it's a little step above now what the Viking Raiders have done in recent weeks. And I think we'll really start to see the Viking Raiders move towards stronger competition after SummerSlam. It looks likely that the Revival and Usos are going to do some type of match at SummerSlam, which could be a blow off to their feud so you can get like a uh, ladder match or some type of gimmick match or something probably not a, a ladder match as oh no that's AEW. so another victory here for the viking raiders this time over former champions uh, again we mentioned that the authors of pain and carl anderson and luke gallows are both in this division as well so the viking raiders could be moving into or towards matches with either of those teams 
And then we had Roman Reigns versus Samoa Joe. And Samoa Joe, it seems, has sort of been cast into this role as the heel who can always lose. Like, I don't even know how many times he's lost to Kofi Kingston recently. He lost to Roman Reigns here. He... Uh, I guess he defeated Finn Balor recently, so he did, he did get a win in, in there as well. But this was a, uh, a angle where Samoa Joe sort of insulted Roman Reigns. They kind of, and then just sort of had a brawl. I don't know if this is where either of these two wrestlers are going. Uh, apparently, there had to be a bunch of rewrites to this show. Ricochet was not cleared for Raw on Monday. He has a staph infection on his elbow. Or he has an infection in his elbow. I don't know if it was staph, but... So, evidently, that caused a lot of things uh, to be changed. I don't, I don't want to say kind of what it was, because uh, that could be a spoiler for down the line. But this strikes me as a segment which wasn't supposed to happen. And... But regardless, Roman Reigns defeated Samoa Joe. And it's something, this segment just really felt like something we're just going to forget about now. <laughs> like It doesn't have any impact on anything else that will happen in WWE, possibly ever. But regardless, Roman Reigns defeated Samoa Joe. Was it by DQ or did he actually pin him? I can't remember. Yep, no, he got the win. All right, so then there is something else that I would really like to talk about. And this is Seth Rollins' performance on Monday night. Whoops. And this is getting a lot of attention. Because Seth, there's become that, that. There is starting to be a bit of a backlash towards Seth Rollins from fans. And this has crept up a little bit because he's been the guy representing... WWE in 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 the news, right? Like in on social media, he's the guy defending WWE. He came out and said WWE is the best wrestling in the world, which didn't exactly get a fantastic reaction from fans. Not from wrestling fans. Like again, from families of wrestling fans, WWE's the big show. If you've got a kid who certain super into John Cena, WWE is the show. If you are a kid and you're super into John Cena or Roman Reigns or whoever the hell, WWE is the major show. And WWE is the most profitable show. It was like 15,000 people were in there for their Raw on Monday. Now, it was a show with a bunch of legends, but 15,000 people, that's a lot of people. They are the only wrestling company that can draw that for a weekly TV show. I mean, New Japan can draw 15,000 for a big show. I mean, they draw 40,000 for Wrestle Kingdom every year. But WWE has more fans than any other wrestling company in the world, and that includes New Japan, who would be second. Well, actually, we'll see what AEW does. I mean, we still don't know a lot about AEW. You know, we, we've, we've had three shows. That's all we've had. We've had three shows. And All In. I don't even know if you can count All In. In fact, I would say you probably can. But regardless, so Seth Rollins, I think, is starting to get a little bit of a backlash from fans. And this shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. Because the last two people who have been in the position that Seth Rollins has been in recently have also received that backlash from fans, those being John Cena and Roman Reigns. John Cena was the face of the company, defending the company. Roman Reigns was the face of the company, would always defend the company. Now that's Seth Rollins. I mean, it's still kind of Roman Reigns, but it really feels like, as of late, They've gone to Seth Rollins for that role. 
And the promo that Seth Rollins gave on Miz TV on Monday was very much a John Cena or Roman Reigns-like promo. He did a over-the-top, exaggerated Brock Lesnar impression. And fans of Tyler Black, people who have been following him since Ring of Honor, WWE fans who are also big fans of New Japan, AEW, Ring of Honor, Impact, MLW, whatever. They didn't like the way Seth Rollins did a Brock Lesnar impersonation. They're like, what is this hokey stuff? To kind of paraphrase how John Moxley would describe a lot of WWE stuff. Yeah, it was hokey, over-the-top, two-dimensional, and fake. And that's also how children's performers are kind of taught to be. That's how John Cena was. And for a while, that's how they were trying to get Roman Reigns to be. Remember, they were trying to get Roman Reigns to do all that suffering succotash and tater tots and all that really scripted soundbite quality stuff. That stuff is designed to get over with kids, right? Like that whole thing of doing a big Brock Lesnar impersonation. He's trying to make 10-year-olds laugh. Those were jokes for 10-year-olds. And that's just how Vince McMahon has always done things. He's always sort of aimed his top guy at kids. They're the ones who sell the toys. They're the ones that get the kids rap, uh, like hooked on WWE for life. And then when they have kids and are so excited to watch their kid experience the things that they enjoyed growing up, then they'll put their, they'll, they'll take their kid to wrestling. They'll take their kid to WWE and they'll take them to WWE, not AEW. That's WWE's strategy is kids and then kids who grow up taking their kids to WWE. But that's not the model of AEW, New Japan, or even NXT. But Seth Rollins right now, the reason everybody's getting so ticked at his hokiness is, and this is just speculation, obviously, is he's being told to deliver stuff in a way that 10-year-olds can understand it, relate with it, find it funny, and want to buy the guy's toys. That's why Roman Reigns said suffering succotash and tater tots. That's why John Cena was always this Nickelodeon character. And that's why Hulk Hogan always told kids to train, say their prayers, and eat their vitamins. The top babyface in WWE is always geared towards kids. And that's what WWE is doing with Seth Rollins right now. That's his role, and that's why everybody's all ticked off at him. But anyway, Brock Lesnar came out. I can't remember what the heck was going on because I was just thinking about all the things I just said in my head. Uh, so, yeah, there, there. If you're on the screen right now, there is... Uh, let me just make sure this... Uh, oh, I don't know how this looks. Okay, so anyway, I hope this looks okay. There's Seth doing his... This is my Brock Lesnar imp impersonation. Okay, but if you were... like, And all the wrestling fans are going, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. But if Seth Rollins was talking to a group of 10-year-olds and he wanted to describe Brock Lesnar to them or he wanted to make them laugh, that's, that's something like, he'd do something like that, right? He'd do a stupid Brock Lesnar impersonation. Anyway, we got that last night because WWE wants to sell Seth Rollins toys to kids because that's how they, they make money. And that's, you know, fine. I guess. I don't know. You you might not find it fine. So then what was after this? And then after this, we had Rey Mysterio defeated Sami Zayn. And man, Sami Zayn is really turned into one one fantastic bad guy. Um, 
his whole way of dumping on the fans who are critics, who feel that it's their place to rank matches or to comment on how good a worker somebody is. Now, I love that because I don't like seeing those things, not so much from fans. As far as I'm concerned, fans can do whatever they want. Mine's more from media. I hate seeing quote-unquote wrestling media. I mean, I'm fine when Meltzer ranks matches because the guy has been watching wrestling nonstop for 35 to 40 years. And so there is some value to what somebody in his position feels a match is uh, in terms of its quality. But wrestling is subjective. A match is neither good nor bad, independent of the person watching its level of enjoyment, right? Like if you watch a match and you have a good time watching it, that match is good. And nobody can say that it's bad. Because to you, it was good, right? Like, the point of a wrestling match is entertainment. So if it's entertaining to you, then it's a good match. Meanwhile, I can say, like, all right, I watched Will Ospreay versus Kota Ibushi. And obviously, if you watch that match, um, it's a fantastic match by two incredibly talented artists or performers. But for the kind of fan I am, I don't, I I sometimes feel a minor criticism from me towards New Japan is the frequency of these epic matches where finishers are, are reversed 20 times before somebody hits them. There's 30 near falls. The match goes nearly 30 minutes, 35. You know, in the G1, wouldn't go over 30. I sometimes feel like the frequency of those mat that those matches occur in New Japan is a little too much. Like, I think, I mean, they also do a great job of, of you had like Zack Sabre Jr. beating Bad Luck Fale by Countout recently. I mean, that was a very unique match, right? And you have to do unique matches. If you're going to have 18 nights with five big singles matches on each show. It just seems to me like sometimes, like I sat down to watch Kota Ibushi versus Will Ospreay. And I was like, I know exactly what this match is going to be. And it was Will Ospreay was going to target Kota Ibushi's ankle because Ibushi tweeted out all this stuff about his injured ankle before the tournament. And then Ibushi's going to target Ospreay's neck Wait, did I say it the right way? I don't know. I may not have said that the right way. Um, Osprey's neck was hurt, so Ibushi was going to target it in the beginning. Ibushi's ankle was hurt, so Osprey was going to target it in the beginning. Uh, I don't know. So I knew that was going to happen. Then they were both going to exchange their all their big moves. And then eventually Ibushi would win with, uh, with the knee to the face. Well, I, I assumed he was going to win. I mean, Osprey could have won, but. And sometimes it's like, well, there, I mean, obviously there can be times where you know exactly what's going to happen. And it's not like I hated that match. That match was great and they did everything perfectly. But I knew what it was going to be ahead of time. And, you know, I don't know. How did I get ta talking on this anyway? Regardless, all right, so that was, uh, Rey Mysterio defeated Sami Zayn. He lost, and they needed to rebuild Mysterio a little bit because Mysterio lost in like a minute to Bobby Lashley uh, a couple of weeks ago. And it seemed like, uh, well, Conan went on his podcast and complained about this. He, he said, uh, you know, why did you have to sacrifice Rey Mysterio for Bobby Lashley? And then Lashley would go on to the pay-per-view and lose the Falls Count Anywhere match to Braun Strowman. So it seemed like an unnecessary waste of Rey Mysterio, but they're starting to rehab him now. He picks up the victory over Sami Zayn. Then we go Seth Rollins defeated AJ Styles via disqualification. 
And it seems like had Ricochet not had an infection on his elbow, that he would have been involved in this match as well. And you had sort of, and I thought this was kind of interesting because you had DX and then the Outsider. So you basically got the NWO, DX, the Click, all the groups that, you know, use the hand signals, the crotch chop, all. It was those groups who, for more, more or less, they're the same group, that when the Bullet Club started, in Japan, it was those groups they were based off of. And back before they got hit with a cease and desist from WWE over it, the Young Bucks, oh my God, all they would do is tell people to suck it, throw up the two sweets, all that stuff. And actually, when they were doing it, the guys in the NWO, like I know Nash uh, did a show with Jeff Jarrett's group where some of the Bullet Club was at. This was obviously before Anderson and Gallo signed with WWE. And they sort of did like a passing of the torch where the NWO was passing on the torch to Bullet Club and stuff like that. So the the factions have sort of had this relationship, though they're obviously two different generations. And I thought it was interesting because originally they had Anderson Gallows and Styles put up their two suites saying, oh, you're you're just like us. But instead, the legends turned against the new club. And in a way, maybe this made the club, the OC, sorry, look a little less than DX or NWO. But I think this will be a bit of a turning point for the OC where they are so enraged by the disrespect shown to them by DX, the NWO, and Seth Rollins, and Ricochet, although he wasn't there. (laughs) I'm sure he'll get thrown into this storyline. That it'll start off this mix of the OC just terrorizing Raw and being the dominant heel faction on Raw. And I wonder if you're going to see the OC expand a little bit. We saw... The Styles did an interview where he said the invitation's always open for Balor to join the group, but Balor's on SmackDown. I think the you know he's babyface. I think they have different things in store for Balor, despite him being the the Oist of the OC. He's the originalist and the oldest. He's the EST of the OC. But I wonder if you could see some guys that weren't associated with the group outside of WWE enter WWE's version. And they would have to do that very carefully as original as fans of the original version of the group um, could sort of turn against the group a little bit if they decide, oh, this is sort of the WWE's version of the OC a little bit. I think they need to, to keep this as close to the Bullet Club. Of course, you can't say Bullet Club as possible and i think you're seeing or you're hearing them be called the oc as opposed to the club to sort of distance themselves a little bit from how the faction was portrayed in wwe previously and sort of to separate this incarnation from the last incarnation so perhaps uh, we'll see something a little different this time around And we had a segment after that where Bray Wyatt attacked Mick Foley as the Fiend. And he gave him the mandible claw. Of course, Mick Foley, don't think he's cleared to take a Sister Abigail or similar move. So the mandible claw was a fitting move for Wyatt's Fiend to deliver to Mick Foley. I hope this is a move that Wyatt will continue to have in his arsenal as it makes sense for him. And it's a move he can do on like big guys that maybe the sister Abigail doesn't look as damaging to, or who perhaps can't take the move. Bray Wyatt with the mandible claw, I think is definitely a great addition to his fiend character. Now we'd see Wyatt again on SmackDown, I guess we'll talk about it now. I don't know if we're going to talk about all of SmackDown. 
But like I like we had talked about in the last time that we had done a live YouTube show slash podcast on Anchor.fm. Um, Wyatt delivered his promo to Finn Balor as his Yowie Wowie character. Didn't even come out in person to do it. Did it while in the Firefly Funhouse. And I think that is what we're going to see moving forward from the character. The Fiend isn't going to speak. The Yowie Wowie version of Bray Wyatt is going to speak for him. Very very creative and unique styled character. As I said in our last show, I think go all the way with the fiend, like just have the fiend go on a completely undefeated streak and pay, play it off as man. I mean, the fiend is Bray Wyatt's darkness harnessed and what, and Bray Wyatt previously, I mean, he hadn't learned how to control and harness his dark side, his dark passenger. But now that he has, he's unstoppable. He was a guy who won the WWE championship before he he developed the fiend. How dangerous is he now? I think just go all the way with him. Fans are really, there's a uh, responding to it. There's a buzz behind it. I think you have... The Fiend versus Seth Rollins for the Universal Championship. Bray Wyatt as the Fiend versus Kofi Kingston for the WWE Championship. That's a unique pay-per-view main event that you've never done before. And I think I think there's a large section of the fan base really behind this incarnation of Bray Wyatt. And I think they'll continue to be behind the character if they go all the way with it, which I think they should. So then we had Becky Lynch and Natalia were brawling on a moment of bliss. And so just want to talk a little bit about this match we're going to get at SummerSlam between Natalia and Becky Lynch. Now, this is going to be in Toronto, as I said last week on the show. The Toronto Live crowd. I mean, they cheer, they cheer Becky. They love, they, every time I've gone to a WWE show where Becky Lynch has been on there, she's been one of the most over people. I would say Becky Lynch in Toronto, I think she gets a bit bigger of a pop maybe than she gets normally even. And she normally gets a big pop, but Natalia is wrestling royalty in Canada. Toronto will cheer Natalia over Becky. There will be some scattered fans who who don't, obviously. So there's I mean, big Becky Lynch fans everywhere. But Natalia, I mean, she's not t- from Toronto. She's from Calgary. But Toronto, I mean, Canadians cheer for Canadians. And not just that, though. Natalia is from, I mean, she's from the Hart family, right? So she's wrestling royalty. And she's also the kind of wrestler that's very well respected in Canada, uh, and definitely very respected in Toronto. The, the uh, Toronto crowd is just not going to cheer against Natalia in this situation. So it'll be interesting to see how they play that up with Becky. Now, it's not going to matter. I mean, the 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 upcoming Raw the next night is in Toronto as well. But once they go back to the States, it's not really going to matter because the crowd reactions will just go back being the same but it'll be interesting to see if well uh, how becky plays into that how becky plays into the negative crowd reaction i think is very interesting and possibly the reason they're doing this match like becky is so good at just taking shots at people on twitter and she's sort of a heel that everybody likes right like she's conor mcgregor it's very much like Conor McGregor, and I know there are people who there are people who get so upset when you compare Becky to Conor McGregor. It's like, oh, you're just saying that because they're both Irish. I'm like, they're both Irish trash talking champions in combat sports. There's a lot of similarities between Becky Lynch and Conor McGregor. So I think this is an opportunity for Becky Lynch to take shots at at the at the live crowd. Like, I think she'll get on the mic and she'll really have at it with the Toronto crowd that's booing her. We've never seen the man get booed. And if the Toronto crowd boos her, I'm really interested in what Becky Lynch's response is going to be to that because I think it's going to be great. 
And I think her response to it is going to be so epic that it'll actually make her a bigger baby face, even, even to the Toronto crowd, because they'll stop booing her the second she comes back and she's not against Natalia anymore. They'll just be, they'll just go right back to cheering her. Uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff with the 24 seven championship. I don't, I don't know if we need to go over that. I will say that Ted DiBiase purchasing the 24 seven championship is interesting. And I think they need to have a little ruling on that because the last time Ted DiBiase tried to purchase a championship, Jack Tunney vacated that title and we had a tournament to declare a new champion at WrestleMania four. And that man's name was the macho man, Randy Savage. And that somehow is what I have to say about that segment. Braun Strowman defeated some guy, a local enhancement talent. And at some point, Braun Strowman, you're either going to put the title on him or you're going to give up. He just won that last man standing match against Bobby Lashley. He's being positioned as the top contender aside from Seth Rollins on Raw. So whoever comes out the champion between Seth Rollins and Brock Lesnar likely has Braun Strowman to deal with. And this is kind of similar to what's going on in the tag team division. What do you do with the challenger who's waiting in the wings before SummerSlam? You just have him beat lower level people. The Viking Raiders beat Hawkins and Ryder. Braun Strowman's defeating jobbers. When SummerSlam is over, Braun Strowman's got a title shot coming to him, and so do the Viking Raiders. At some point, those are those are the people waiting in the wings in their respective divisions. And then, of course, the big finale was. You know, it was interesting. So you had Ric Flair come out, and obviously everybody loves Ric Flair. Hulk Hogan came out, and it's, I mean, you know, Hogan still gets a huge pop and and whatever. Um, You know, for me personally, uh, when Titus O'Neil tells me it's okay to cheer Hulk Hogan, then then I'll cheer for Hulk Hogan. I, I I guess I guess I don't know. Um, it's still for me to see Hogan on that stage with that sort of unresolved issue, you know, like it feel the the Hogan scandal, like it just doesn't feel completed, right? Like I need to, I need to hear, like, because there was that apology, and then Titus O'Neil was like, "That's not an apology." And to me, like, I, 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 you know, I need to hear from the locker room leaders in WWE that it's definitely time to forgive Hogan. Um, I don't know if I've really heard that from, from guys like Mark Henry or Titus O'Neil. And that's sort of my thing is if I hear that from Titus O'Neil and, and Mark Henry, then all right. But whatever it was, what it was, you know. And Hogan, I mean, you can't discount, obviously, the major contributions to pro wrestling that, that Hogan has made. Like, in, in terms of, like, you can't ignore them. You know, like, it, it's... But anyway, it's obviously really, you know... But one guy, one guy who you don't have to worry about cheering or supporting... Stone Cold Steve Austin comes out and is just, you know, like we said before, he was talking about this is his family. This is his, you know, uh, this is, you know, WWE is family. And we sort of talked about that before, about how um, this is what 
WWE maybe will do for 10 weeks, trying to build up this idea of brand loyalty and that you're a member of the WWE universe. And if you're a Stone Cold Steve Austin fan, then you're a WWE guy. And how there was this brand loyalty battle between WWE and WCW during the Monday Night War era. Anyway, Stone Cold Steve Austin came out and like in a you kind of in a way it sort of made you wish there were people with the charisma of Stone Cold Steve Austin that were still actively going in WWE. I mean, that's asking a lot. Obviously, obviously, Stone Cold Steve Austin is one of, if not the greatest of all time. All right, let's quickly run through SmackDown. And then I got to get to watching this G1 here. So Kevin Owens and Shane McMahon agreeing to a match at SummerSlam. And I just keep hoping that this pay-per-view will be the last where Shane McMahon is a major character on the show. That might be entirely too much to ask. I don't know. But Shane McMahon needs to be off of WWE programming by the time AEW is on TNT. So if they're using him to get Kevin Owens as over as a Stone Cold Steve Austin type character, great. Have Owens just run through him at SummerSlam and let's not see Shane McMahon again until there is another Raw reunion show. I mean, I love Kevin Owens as the everyman Stone Cold Steve Austin character. That's great. That's great. And having him go up against Shane McMahon, of course, there's the allusion to the uh, Stone Cold Vince McMahon storyline. That's great. I'm just saying Shane McMahon is automatic hit the fast forward button for me. He, He didn't used to be like that throughout his career, you know, but this Shane McMahon, this run, I got no time for. It's fast forward all the way until Kevin Owens comes out. Then we had Shinsuke Nakamura defeating Apollo Crews. And this is good if you're fans of Shinsuke Nakamura and and bad if you're fans of Apollo Crews. And about in the middle if you're fans of both. It was a good match, though. It was a good match to to kick off uh, SmackDown. Nakamura, you know, I mean, he's the Intercontinental Champion and that Looks like they've got plans to make him a bigger, more focal part of the show. And then he continued the attack after the match on on Apollo Crews, which hopefully means we'll get an Apollo Crews with unfinished business, you know? So this is a reason why Apollo Crews' character will get a little bit better, get a little bit more determined, start winning more matches. He's now got this chip on his shoulder that this guy, after a hard-fought match, beat him up after the bell and showed him that disrespect. So hopefully, hopefully, this is the beginning of something for Apollo Crews too. Um, Although, you know, uh, uh, a loss when you're a guy who hasn't won a lot on TV is is never that, that good. But all the same, um, could could be the start of something for Apollo Crews. And Apollo Crews is a guy, remember like he came into NXT and was so impressive that he went up to the main roster like right away. And then they never did anything with him. And it sort of feels like they've stunted his growth. Like he was still developing as a wrestler. And I don't know if you do that on main event, but you can do that performing on takeovers and stuff like that. What am I talking about? He just went back to NXT. He wrestled Kushida last week. So the fact that they've thought enough about Apollo Crews to put him on SmackDown and put him back in NXT, to me, signifies that they realize they made a bit of a mistake not, not giving this guy more to do. And it looks as though they're looking to rectify that. But, you know, they had a fun match. And, uh, you know, hey. Then Ziggler was on Miz TV. And Ziggler and Shawn Michaels got into a debate over who is a second-rate Shawn Michaels. Whether that's Dolph Ziggler in 2019 or Shawn Michaels in 2019. And so this could possibly lead to a Dolph Ziggler versus Miz match. Maybe at SummerSlam. My apologies, everyone, but this was a fast-forwardable segment to me. I mean, I paused and I I listened to the stuff about being a second-rate 
Shawn Michaels, but Miz, Miz is a guy who I hit the fast forward button for. And you know, Miz is actually the guy who made me realize more than anyone else how geared towards families WWE is. Because I took my nephews to a WWE live event, so just a house show. I don't have kids of my own. I don't know how to handle them. And uh, I was kind of stressed because they, they're like eight-year-olds, right? And I'm trying to get them John Cena t-shirts, get us in the seats, all this stuff. And we finally sit down. And the first thing that happens on the show is The Miz cuts a word-for-word ravishing Rick Rude promo. And I realized who he was doing that for. He was doing that for people like me. People around my age group who would remember ravishing Rick Rude as a kid. You know, like we were kids in the 80s. Or 80s or 90s. And, um, And we would remember that. Now the the kids in the audience wouldn't wouldn't have any idea what that that the Miz was just doing a word for word ravishing Rick Rude promo. They'd think they were just you know because he called us all smelly warthogs or all this stuff you know that that Rick Rude used to do in the eighties. And it was this little inside joke between Miz and the adults at the show. And this happens in Disney movies or in kids' movies where there's little jokes thrown in that the kids won't get, but the adults do. And that's what The Miz was doing when he was cutting this ravishing Rick Rude promo. And it made me realize, it, like, it took me back to being a kid, to watching wrestling through the that through that filter, the filter of an eight-year-old who doesn't know anything about anything and is just buying what everyone's selling. Now, they know it's a show. Like, my nephews know it's a show. And they knew it was a show back then, too. This is like 2016 or something. And I knew it was a show when I I was a kid. But you still, you're still watching the show like it's, like everything's just playing out. None of this, I'm going to go on the internet later and find out why so-and-so was booked in such a match and yada 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 with that being said unless I'm watching it with my nephews I have no interest in watching Dolph Ziggler versus The Miz at SummerSlam although I mean the show's in Toronto so I might be watching it with my nephews Uh, okay so then Ember Moon defeated Charlotte Flair I mean not really what was this like a roll up on uh uh, yeah, so Bailey shows up and there's some distraction and this allows Ember Moon to pick up the win over Charlotte Flair. Now, Ember Moon defeating Charlotte Flair does a few things. Few things. First of all, if you're like me and you want your wrestling to make sense, you want the title shots going to the number one contenders. Ember Moon defeating Charlotte Flair makes her a number one contender to the title. Now, why they just didn't not announce the Bailey versus Ember Moon match last week and, and have this a number one contenders match, I don't know. But regardless, Ember Moon defeats Charlotte Flair. And in storyline, if, if WWE was real, right? Like, if you go to spoilerfreewrestling.com, we do all the rankings as if it was real. But we do it not so much like in a subjective way, like we think so-and-so is the bounce wrestler. Like it's done. Okay. If you're ranked number three and you lose to the wrestler who's ranked number seven, the wrestler who is ranked number seven is now ranked number three and you will drop down, um, to number four likely, uh, unless, um, wait, you were at three. Yeah. So you would drop down to four. So it's a ladder-based system that is based on results, not subjective opinions. Although you sometimes kind of have to throw subjective some stuff in there. It's a little subjective. But um, uh, so basically Ember Moon defeating Charlotte Flair moves her into the number one contender position 
on those rankings and under that system. So if wrestling was real, this victory would make Ember Moon the number one contender to Bailey's title, much more so than last week's segment where Bailey just announced she wanted to defend the title against Ember Moon. Regardless. And so then later, Charlotte Flair's all upset, or it might have been after. Yeah, whatever. So Charlotte Flair then demands that she re- that she have a match at SummerSlam, even though she's now out of the SmackDown title picture, right? Like she can't be arguing that she's added to the SmackDown Women's Championship match because she just lost this match to Ember Moon. But she's demanding a match, and she wants to prove that she is the greatest female superstar of all time. And there's some rumors out there about who might answer her challenge. But we can't let you know because we're spoiler-free wrestling. All right, what else happened? Then Kofi Kingston announced he will take on Randy Orton. So he was just going to name his challenger. And of course, he named Randy Orton. These two have a history going back a long, long time. Kofi Kingston versus Randy Orton for the WWE Championship at SummerSlam. I'm hoping Kofi Kingston wins this. I think it's too early to take the title off him. And I think the person who takes the title off him, I I, I would have preferred it was a money in the bank type situation. Um, it should be done in some type of dubious fashion so that like Kofi can chase the title again. Uh, I think there's a lot of legs still left in, in Kofi Kingston as the feel-good story, the feel-good champion. And I think New Day is very popular and move a lot of merchandise, so it's a good uh, idea for WWE to have them in the in the main events. And after that, Kofi Kingston defeated Samoa Joe because Samoa Joe loses all his wrestling matches. Finn Balor, ex- uh, sorry, Bray Wyatt, as we talked about before, accepted Finn Balor's um, chance for a match with The Fiend at SummerSlam. That should be great. We get the first match, the first official match for The Fiend at SummerSlam in Toronto. And then Kevin Owens versus Roman Reigns. Uh, this was a no contest. There was eventually Roman Reigns and Kevin Owens just turned on Elias and Drew McIntyre, who were the guest timekeepers and referee. And it just turned into Kevin Owens and Roman Reigns against Shane McMahon and his sort of group. This sort of leads me to believe we'll get Roman Reigns against maybe Elias at, uh, oh no, we already had Roman Reigns versus Elias. Well, we don't have a match for Roman Reigns at SummerSlam. Drew McIntyre... Well, I mean, he could do something with Joe because he did something with Joe and Rob. I don't know. Regardless, it was an Owens and Shane McMahon segment to end SmackDown. I got to tell you, I thought WWE was pretty good this week. I thought they did some good stuff. And they're going to need to continue it because 10 weeks from tonight and AEW Dynamite is on the air. And so we're going to end it there. Uh, This was just about an hour. Thanks very much, you guys. Uh, You can check this out on YouTube. This will be up as a podcast later today on anchor.fm. Thanks very much, guys. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button. I'm the iGuy from Spoiler Free Wrestling.